Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Fenway Park. No, not, not the same thing. Not the same thing, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bunch of wannabes. Yeah, again. Again. Anyway, I wanted to welcome you all to the annual Information 411. It's wonderful to be able to come each and every year and tell you about progress that's happening out there. I know there are times when that iOS device refuses to hang up on your last phone call. Um, there's times when somebody says, oh, I hope you didn't update that software because... And there are always going to be, you know, one step back, two step forward situations going on. The American Council of the Blind for many, many years has had what they call the Information Access Committee. We actually had one committee back in the day that dealt with information access and I'm trying to be on the microphone. You know, I really should get my legs sawed off about four inches. You think again? Is that better? Good, okay. So, let me try again here. So, a number of years ago, the American Council of Blind had a committee that dealt with all things access. And we simply called it the Access Committee. And then we subdivided it so that we would be able to have one group of people working on things of a technical nature, information access, and one working out there on physical accessibility. Things like audible traffic signals, detectable warnings, all of that kind of space, but much, much more. And when we started doing this, I got a, again, a very brief history lesson. This is my 40th consecutive ACB convention. So I've seen, <laughs> I've seen a lot of things come and go over the course of that time. And there have been some pivotal moments in blindness history where life really changed. And one of those pivotal moments was called the personal computer. It... I remember turning in that paper in my sophomore year of college for, I think it was PolySci 101, only to find out I had typed it entirely on stencil. And it was such a joy to be able to edit my own things when a PC came my way. Not to be dependent on typing slow enough that I could catch myself in a mistake backspacing, putting a little chalky piece of paper in there, typing the letter I think I might have mistyped, backing it up again and typing one over it. This was game-changing. Game-changing doesn't begin to describe what it can do for blind and visually impaired people in all aspects of life. In education, can you get an education without being computer literate these days? No. Employment. How many jobs do you suppose blind people have that don't require computer literacy at one level or not? Not too many. I'm sure there's a guy out there flipping burgers with his eyes closed somewhere. Um, and for that matter, how many tasks of daily life are impacted by technology today? Virtually all of it. I'm standing here with a Bluetooth earpiece in one ear, uh, an iPhone 7 in my pocket, an Apple Watch on my wrist, and uh, both a Mac and a PC up in my guest room. Penned between the two is my 
Amazon tap. So it's everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere. And ACB asked the Information Access Committee to do what it can to keep up to breast with what's happening and to impact what's happening for the betterment of those who are blind or visually impaired. A number of the members of that committee are here today, and I'm going to ask if they would shout out who they are um, on that committee that are in the audience. Who's going to go first? Come on. There you go. Thank you, Ray. There you go. There you go. Jeff Bishop, co-chair. Come on. Larry Turnbull's in and out on that committee, an important part of things. Rebecca Bridges on the committee. Carl Richardson on the committee. Why they were so slow to say their names, I haven't a clue. It isn't by just waiting, trying to be polite. Trust me, don't work around here. A committee has been, Roger Peterson, he says, yes. So we have people who are working on these issues each and every day. We can't do it all uh, just with staff and some volunteers. We rely on relationships that we've built with a number of major companies. And one person that I've known for virtually darn close to all those <laughs> 25 of them anyway years is our first speaker this afternoon coming to us from uh, a small little company some of us uh, spend entirely too much money at Amazon is Mr. Peter Korn. And he's going to give you a sneak preview of what he's going to be saying on Tuesday on the plenary. But more importantly, you'll have an easier chance of asking questions about what he's showing us this morning uh, or this afternoon, rather, because it's a smaller group. So please join me in welcoming to the podium, Mr. Peter Korn. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you all for having me. Am I coming across the microphone well enough, Larry? Excellent. Um, so I've been at Amazon for three and a half years. And Amazon has as its motto, its, its tagline, that we aim to be the Earth's most customer-centric company. And when we think about customers with disabilities, we want customers with disabilities to be customers, to be delighted customers. And to achieve that, we need to make our products delightful. And so today, I'm going to uh, talk about and give some demonstrations of some of the things we've just recently released around uh, media accessibility. I have with me here our, uh, the brand new Fire TV Edition Smart TV. This is a line of actual televisions, smart TVs. They come in four sizes, 43 inches for $449.99. 50 inches for $549.99. 55 inches, which is what I have with me here, for $649. And say it with me, 99 cents. And then a 65 inch for $849. And 99 cents. 
And all of these TVs have Fire operating system, Fire OS, built into them. They are essentially Fire TVs on steroids. Now, the Fire TV was our first foray into the television uh, product space. Uh, that came out several years ago. It was a little box, sort of a cigar box shape at $99.99. Now, $89.99. And then we came out with a smaller stick version that's the size of a sort of fat pair, a fat pack of Wrigley Spearmint gum at $39.99. And all of those Fire TVs have the VoiceView screen reader built into it. This is the screen reader we wrote from scratch for our otherwise Android-derived operating system, Fire OS. So I'm going to show you the Fire TV stick, but the star of the show is the Fire TV uh, Edition Smart TV itself, which I have here to my left. And this Fire TV uh, Edition Smart TV, like Fire TVs in general, has VoiceView built in. It also has Alexa built in. And we can use both of those for every facet of the television experience. The other thing, so Amazon.com, do a search for Fire TV Edition, you'll find it. Uh, they are actually shipping uh, as of, I think, a week ago. Um, the other thing that we uh, have been doing starting uh, at the end of last year is we've been making the Amazon Video Player application accessible on a wide range of devices. Of course, video playing is accessible on our own Fire TV. Why have a Fire TV if you can't watch videos? Um, it's also accessible on our Fire tablets. It's accessible on iPhone. It's accessible on Android. And starting December, it's accessible on a broad number of what we call living room devices. So your PlayStation 4, your Xbox One, many smart TVs from Sony and Hisense, um, uh, Blu-ray players. There's some Sony Blu-ray players that have text-to-speech in them, and the Amazon Video Player app will talk on those devices. And I'm going to demonstrate some of that in a few moments. And then finally, if that weren't enough, just uh, three weeks ago, I believe, we launched audio description for Amazon Video. <laughs> and at launch, we had something like 117 movies from folks like Disney, Paramount, Warner Brothers as well as 10 Amazon original TV shows, things like Man in the High Castle and Bosch. Full seasons of those series. Not every, not all seasons in all cases. We only have the first season of Man in the High Castle, for example. But all seasons of Transparent, all seasons of Bosch. And we will be rounding that out uh, fairly aggressively over the coming weeks and months. 
So without further ado, let's have me shut up and invite VoiceView to talk. So I'm going to press, so the remote that I have, for any of you who have played with a Fire TV, the Fire TV Edition Smart TV is similar but has a few more buttons. The top right button is the power button. I just pressed that. Um, in the center toward the very top is the microphone button. That's how I talk to Alexa. Then there's a row of three small buttons, back, home, and menu. A five-way selector, a big round button that you can go up, down, left, right, or press select in the center. Another set of three small buttons below that, rewind, play, pause, fast forward. Then we have a volume up-down rocker that's oriented horizontally. And then finally, we have three quick buttons to get to Prime Video or Netflix or music, Amazon Music. Now, um, all of this should be plugged into the house. So as I arrow around, you should start hearing things. You're only hearing clicks. You're not hearing uh, voice view. And that's because I haven't turned voice view on. To turn voice view on, I locate the back and menu buttons, and I press them both at the same time for about two seconds, like this. Voice view ready, home, two of seven. And that's all Use you need. Use left and right to move between items. And that's all you need to do to turn on voice view. You can do that shortly after you plug the TV in. So you get the TV, get it into your living room, plug it in, press the power on button on the remote, wait a few moments, and then you'll start hearing this periodic ping sound, kind of like radar. And that periodic ping sound lets you know that the TV is up and ready for your input. At that point, you locate and press the play pause button which connects the remote wirelessly, not over infrared, but wirelessly with the TV. The remote is both infrared and wireless. Infrared for the power button and to make the initial connection, but then everything else, I'm nowhere near the TV as I'm pressing these buttons because I'm connected over uh, wirelessly. So once you've synchronized the remote to the device, then you can turn on voice view and use VoiceView to go entirely through the setup process to get onto Wi-Fi, to register your account, and then to start enjoying the device, to start enjoying movies. And even scanning for over-the-air channels. I'll take you through all of that. Absolutely. Although you're going to need to actually physically connect some cables behind. VoiceView can't help you with that part. So I'm now on the home screen, and the home screen of the Fire TV Edition Smart TV is very, very similar to the home screen of Fire TV in general. There is a menu across the top. Well, why don't I press the menu button once, which is the Voice View uh, Info button when Voice View is running, and see what she has to say. 
Use left and right to move between items. Main menu. Contains top-level choices such as search, home, movies, and settings. When an item is selected, the lower portion of the screen updates to contain related content. New World of X Games, ABC, Netflix, Amazon Music, Prime. So what you heard when I pressed the menu button briefly once is overview information. We have begun extending the Android Accessibility API, or more appropriately, the Fire OS Accessibility API, to better support um, delighting customers. So one of the things we have done is we have added a field in the Accessibility API called Hint Text. So the Hint Text tells you things like, uh, you can press left and right at this point to select items. We've also added something called orientation text. Orientation text is automatically read the first time you encounter any screen. But you can get it at any time just by pressing the menu button. So I'm going to press the menu button again, but I'm now going to annotate what you hear from voice view. Menu. Use left and right to move between items. Main menu. Contains top-level choices text. such as search, home, move. And play pause is the shut up button. You know, when you implement a screen reader, and this is now my fifth, I think, in the 25 years I've been doing this stuff, the very first thing you do is you make it talk, followed quickly by the very second thing you do, which is make it shut up. So I'm now going to explore this interface by pressing right on the five-way selector. Your videos, three of seven. Movies, four of seven. TV shows, five of seven. Apps, six of seven. Settings, seven of seven. So those are six of my seven items. Going back to Seven home. items, home, two of seven. I'm going to go left. Search one of seven. A. And that's alpha. the leftmost choice. I can painstakingly go through this on-screen keyboard to enter search terms. But as we'll see, Alexa's much better for that. But I can do it. Every aspect of this interface is accessible at Talks. And I can home, go through Home, two of that. seven. So I'm now back to home. Use left and right item. to move. Hush. I'm now going to arrow down into the body of this screen. Preacher premiere on AMC, one of six. How would anybody want to shoot at us? Recent fire TV button. The very first item. Use up and down to move. The very first item below the menu is a rotating series of. Uh, things we'd like to entice you to consider watching. Uh, previews. Excellent. Previews. Um, so now we have the recent items. These are things that I have recently interacted with, whether they are inputs like... PlayStation button. One of my inputs. I've got a PlayStation. PlayStation. HDMI to Xbox button. I have an Xbox connected. Netflix button. Netflix. New. World of X Games, ABC. 
I was watching ABC a little while World ago. World of F the Man in the High Castle. Prime button. And I was also watching The Man in the High Escalation. Castle. Escalation. Hush. So these are some of the things that I can do. Actually, let's go back to The Man in the High Castle because I want to point out another thing that we're going to hear. And this is very interesting and important. The Man in the High Castle. Prime button. Escalation. 4.5 out of 5 stars from 39,457 customers. IMDb rating 8.1 out of 10. 53 minutes. 2016. Hush. What we are hearing, and for those who can see, you'll notice that as I am selecting among these recent items, the top third of the screen where I don't have focus, where my cursor is not at the moment, that top third is updating. That top third is updating with a description for the item that has focus. It's telling me about the man in the high castle. In particular, the episode I was most recently watching, which is Escalation. Now, this is a very common visual UI pattern. You see this on Apple TV. You see this in Netflix. All this visual stuff that doesn't have focus that we still want to know about. And the way that that's typically solved is very similar to what you have just heard. After a brief pause, we start reading that. And by the way, this is now the third place we have extended the now Fire OS accessibility API. We have something called description for text, or actually a description for container of a bunch of different items that is programmatically linked to this item in the recent row. And that we automatically, the, the voice view automatically starts reading after a pause. But I can, of course, shut it up. But I can do something else that's very interesting and very powerful. I'm going to start rereading this. But then I'm going to start pressing the fast forward and rewind buttons. Because there's a lot of information here. And we might only want to know what the uh, maturity rating is, to know whether we want to watch this with our young daughter. And I don't want to have to listen to five paragraphs of information before I get to the maturity rating. Would you please let me skip forward to the thing I want to know about? Well, we do. So let's do this again. Newt the man in the high castle, prime button. Escalation, 4.IMDB, 53 minutes, 2016 rated TVMA, closed captioning available, season closed caption rated TVMA, closed captioning of... And there it is. I can move backwards and forwards through these paragraphs of information because customer obsession, delighting customers with disabilities. Why should you have to be dragged through all this information when you want to be in control. You should be in control. You should read what you want to read when you want to read it. And that's part of the philosophy driving our access solutions. So, to repeat the question for the folks on the um, live stream, 
Um, he notes, the gentleman notes that uh, we noted that this has closed captions, but he did not hear any indication that this is audio described. You won't today in this first release of audio description support for Amazon Video. We, we made a decision uh, probably a year and a half ago, I would say, at Amazon, that we don't want to let the perfect get in the way of releasing substantial improvements. So uh, we weren't able to add um, visual display of audio description as a, as a bug, as metadata, in the programs on Fire TV in time to make our desired launch date for audio descriptions, which was earlier this year. We decided rather than holding off on bringing audio descriptions to our customers until we had that feature, it would be better to release that to work with the audio description project at uh, the American Council of the Blind to list all of our titles and to list them all on our website and to get that out earlier. And so that's what we did. But that functionality is coming. So the question was about teletext or other text information coming up on the TV itself. Will VoiceView read that? It depends upon how that information is rendered. If it's simply rendered within the video stream itself, and all we get is video that happens to have pixels that look like text, we're not going to be able to do anything with it. On the other hand, if it comes through programmatically as text, and we're displaying it within the visual UI, the, the, a dialog box, for example, then we would read it. And I can show you an example. If I pull the input plug from an input, and a dialog box, an error message comes up saying, your input was removed, that we can read. But we're still working through the technical standards for how to expose that kind of text, emergency broadcast information, et cetera, plumbing that all the way through. So that's something that's still coming. So, um, and then I'm going to ask you to hold any follow-up questions because there are others in the audience as well. Um, as some of you may know, we have just begun rolling out Braille support for VoiceView on Fire tablets. I'm not equipped to demonstrate that here. We have some Braille sessions later on in the conference where I'll be getting into that. Um, our initial Braille support is output only, and that is not available for Fire TV in the initial release. Um, we've been having discussions with customers, and I'm very curious, and we can talk about this maybe afterwards, uh, the applications of Braille in a TV environment. Certainly it's something we can do. Voice View is Voice View. It's the same code base, whether it's on Fire TV or Fire Tablet. Um, but figuring out the, the usage paradigms 
for Braille in a TV environment is something that uh, we're very much interested in getting customer thoughts and feedback on. In, the, in a moment, in the second row, there was a question, then I'll, I'll come to you, Miss. Sir. Yes. I'm not aware of Amazon.com, the mail order site, doing trade-ins, even with products that might have been bought from us six months ago. Uh, I would invite you to talk with customer service. Did you buy it from Amazon? Uh, ev even more so, uh, I'm not aware of, of us taking a product we didn't sell uh, as a trade-in. But you might go to... Best Buy or whoever you bought the Vizio from and talk with them, we will be selling, uh, or I should say, Westinghouse Element Electronics uh, will be selling these through retail outlets. Question in the back of the room. So the question was about um, audio description or video description on Amazon Video on iPhone. Yes, it is, and I can demonstrate. I'm not in a position to demonstrate that here, but I plan to demonstrate that on Tuesday morning when I have a little bit more equipment, uh, audio-video equipment that should be arriving at the convention center on Monday. So I'd be happy to sit down with you afterwards and see if we can work out how to do it on your phone or tablet. So um, I can get to more facets of the interface. I, I don't know how much time you're... <laughs> okay, a uh, question in the front row, and then I'm going to ask to hold questions while I do some more demonstrating. Um, so it doesn't eliminate... So whether you choose to cut the cord or not is entirely up to you. Um, you can plug cable signals into the coax input and use that instead of an over-the-air antenna. And as long as it complies with certain, um, uh, certain protocols for exposing program information, we will get all of the text of that program information. It will be populated in our user interface in the program guide, and that program guide will be accessible. And speaking of that, why don't we go to the program guide now? Because, well, this is a television, after all. So I'm going to do a long press on the home button. That's the top center button in the first row of three small buttons. Channel guide, one of six, button. And after doing that long press... Use up and down to move between... Hush. After doing that long press, I get a um, vertical menu off to the right-hand side overlaid over whatever else is going on with channel guide, as you heard. Inputs, two of six, button. Apps, three of six, button. 
Set a sleep timer. Four of six. Button. Picture. Five of six. Button. This is where I can adjust aspects Use up and down to move. Sound. Six of six. Button. So let's go back. Channel guide. One of six. Button. And look at the channel guide. World of X Games. 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Saturday, July 1st. After a pause. EPG menu. Use up and down to move between channels. Use left and right to move between programs inside a channel. Station name ABC. Saturday, July 1st. Street League. Street League rookies Das Han Jordan and Yuta Haragam battle it out with perennial champion Nia Houston for the top spot in Munich. World of X Games. 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Up next. To be announced. You know, this is an excellent place to demonstrate something that I was going to hold until a little later. Street League rookies, what was that? Something Jordan and, and Uto something or other. I'm not quite sure what those were. So Voice View supports review mode. So a long press of the Voice View button, the menu button. Review mode on brings up review mode. I'm now going to do a long press of left. Street League. Street League rookies Das Han Jordan and Yuta Haragam battle it out with perennial champion Nia Guide. Now I'm going to move through this item by item. I'm doing item linear navigation. Vertical bar. 2.05 p.m. Saturday, July 1st. Oh, let's 2 Vertical Street League. Street League rookies Das Han Jordan and you. That's a lot of information. So I'm going to change my reading granularity by pressing the down button. Window. Character. Word. And now I'm going to navigate this paragraph of information by word. Street League. Street League. Street League. Street League. Rookies. Das Han. Jordan. Das Han. How do you spell that? Well, let's change reading granularity to... Control. Word. Character. D. Character. Delta. A. S. H. A. W. N. November. You can now spell the name of any actor anywhere you find it in this interface. Whether it's in a movie or an over-the-air television show like this. Customer obsession, delighting customers. So let's get out of review mode. Review mode off. World of X Games. Hush. And that's just, again, a long press of the voice view button or the home or the menu button. And let's see what else is here in this program guide. I'm going to arrow down a few times to see what other channels I was able to pick up from the antenna earlier today in my hotel room when the antenna was against the window. We're not actually able to pull any of these stations in right now because the antenna is deep within the bowels of the hotel. But I was able to pull in the program guide and the program guide is persisting even though I can't actually get anything off the antenna. So let's see what else was available. Hatch Twin Peaks, The Return with Showtime on Amazon Channels, 2 of 18. 
That's actually an EPG ad. menu. What's happening? 2.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. What's happening? 2 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. PGA down. Tour Golf. 12 p.m. Season down. of Fear. 1.30. Once bitten. 2 p.m. to arrow Raising down. Hope. 2 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. Now let's arrow across to Station see what's name plus Saturday Raising Hope. 2.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. The King of Queens. 3 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. The King of Queens. 3.30 p.m. to 4 p.m. All right. So Saturday, July 1st. Go back to home. Home. That's a taste of over-the-air broadcast. Now, Fire TV edition smart TVs are Fire TVs. Fire TVs not only come with voice view, they come with Alexa. So I can do things like this. Switch to ABC. Tuning to ABC. 17 items. We're not going to hear anything. Player Chrome. Use down button to bring up on now row. Weak or no signal, try repositioning your antenna to improve reception. And that was an error message. And that error message was automatically read by voice view. I don't have enough signal here in the bowels of the hotel to actually tune to ABC. So let's try something else. Switch input to Xbox. Okay. No signal detected. Input list. Button. Let me wake up the Xbox. Let me attempt again to wake up the Xbox. There we are. So now I have the Xbox. The Xbox is waking up. Maybe while the Xbox is waking up, we'll do something else. Uh, the Fire TV Edition Smart TV is $449.99 for the 43 inch, $549. 99 for the 50 inch, 649.99 for the 55 inch that we have here, and then 849.99 for the 65 inch. Resume, launch, Amazon video, press the menu button for more options button, one of one. So what we're hearing now is Microsoft Narrator built into the Xbox One. And the only reason I'm showing you that is because I can launch Dialogue. Oh. Sign in to start this app. Yeah, you need yeah. to sign in to use Amazon. Resume. Guide. Who are you? CSUN demo. Signed out. Choose this person. Notification from system. Okay. Hi CSUN. Amazon video. You're signed in. Amazon video. Loading. And this is a demonstration of the fact that we are device agnostic. Text to speech ready. To navigate this application, use the directional buttons on your remote. Main menu. Home. Press up and down to move between items. Press select to choose and press right to move to right menu. 
And this interface is somewhat similar to what you just heard with Voice View on Fire TV. This is actually the Voice View preview interface on a basic Amazon video user interface that looks a lot like the Fire TV interface of nine months ago, <laughs> which was when we did uh, Voice View preview. So I can arrow through this. Originals, movies, TV. I can go select an item. TV selected, TV carousel list. And New content can... loaded, main menu. TV carousel list, watch next, your channels. Through this interface. List. Similarly, I can switch input to... Input switched. Your TV input has been switched to Fire I'm not TV. quite sure how to help you with that. Display and sound. Switch input to PlayStation. I can't switch input on Fire TV. Display and sounds. In switch input to PlayStation. Oh, I've got. I can't switch input on Fire TV. Home. Two of seven. That's not the remote I'm looking for. Use left and right to move between items. Where is the remote I'm looking for? Yes, Jeff, but I found it. All right. Now, I, I, I also have a Fire TV stick attached, and I was pressing the remote of that, and the Fire TV stick doesn't have HDMI input. So let's try this with the remote for the Fire TV edition smart TV. Switch input to PlayStation. Okay. Input switched. Your TV input has been switched to PlayStation. And now, as I'm enjoying my PlayStation 4. TV and video services. Amazon Video. Button. I can select and launch Amazon Video on a PlayStation Amazon Video. And it talks. Let's just take that as given, since we don't have tons of time. Loading. I want to make sure other people have a chance to do things. Text so to speech ready. To navigate this application, use the directional buttons on your... Man in the High Castle. Movies and TV. Two items. Movies and TV. The Man in the High Castle. Prime. Button. Two items. Movies and TV. Movies and TV. So I'm selecting this. The Man in the High Castle. Resume 52 minutes remaining. One of four. And I'm going to go look at the seasons and episodes. You watch seasons and episodes. Three of four. By button. pressing right to get to it. Season two. Episode four. I'm going to go up to the season Season list. 2, 2 of 2. Season 1, 1 of 2. Season down, 1. And let's start at the beginning, because you don't want to come into a show in the middle of a second season. Se season, season 1, episode 1. And let's start checking this out. Playing the new world. Disabled. But first we have an ad for the second. Get beyond that. Pause. I'm going to press the menu twice, right? The menu is the voice view key. So if I want to actually press the menu button, I have to press it twice. Once to voice view, and that escapes the second press that goes through. Menu. Next episode. I'm going to select up. Watch from beginning. And subtitles. This is actually going to be subtitles and audio 
in about 48 hours when the update to the video player comes through quietly automatically. This is a brand new device I opened upstairs this morning. So I select subtitles and audio. Audio language, English, drop-down list. I'm going to select this drop-down list. Audio language, English, one of two, check box, checked. And let's see what two of two is. Audio language, English, audio description, two of two, check box, not checked. Well, let's check it. The Man in the High Castle Season 1, Episode 1, The New World, Audio Languages, 2, Audio Language, English, Audio Description, Drop-Down List. Now I'm just going to press back, and off we will start listening to this again, where we were a moment ago, but this time Loading. with a little bit of Slider. extra stuff. 0%, 1 items. Amazon Studios presents... A map shows the former United States divided into the Japanese Pacific States and the Greater Nazi Reich. Titles appear over iconic American monuments and projected images of war. Alexa Davalos, Rupert Evans, Luke Kleintank, DJ Qualls, Joel Della... Skip Forward. Egan. Hackett, Christopher Tricard, Frank Spotnitz. Skip Forward. Ten. Through the opening a film projector turns on in a dark room. It's a new day. The sun rises in the east. Across our land, men and women go to work in factories and farms. A young man sits in a theater. Pause. So, this isn't actually um, a movie theater today. We're not going to do a full showing of The Man in the High Castle. You'll have to enjoy it uh, at home at your leisure. But I wanted to point out that not only is the Fire TV edition, Smart TV, a great place to watch over-the-air broadcasts, a great place to watch um, Amazon video with audio description. You can also watch other video services on this device. So I'm going to go to Home. Home, 2 of 7, loading. I'm going to go down to recents. Actually, Use I'm left go and down right to, to move between your items. Hush. I'm going to go down to your apps and games. Preacher Premier Recent. The your apps and games. Netflix. Use up and down to move between categories such as new releases or comedy. Use left and right to move between items in the category. Escalation. 4.5 out of 5 stars from 39,400. So let's launch Netflix. On the profile selection screen, who's watching Netflix? Peter, one of three buttons. I'm the one who's going to be logging in, so we're going to log in as me. On the browse screen, in the spotlight row, one title in this row, Akja. To the girl who raised her, Arrow this massive... In the new releases row, 75 titles in this row, Akja. To the girl who raised her, Down. this massive creep in the trending now row. 75 titles in this row. Breaking Bad. Select. On the details screen for Breaking Bad. Resume S1. Down. Play. Down. Down. Audio and subtitles. Four Select. Of subtitles. 
One of four buttons. Off. Oh no, this currently selected. Audio description. Anyway, audio described content, um, you can select all of that here. But rather than having to navigate through the entire Netflix UI, which is fully spoken, let's go back to home. Home, two of seven. We have what's called catalog integration with Netflix. So you can just use Alexa to say, Sense 8. Press select to view results. Results. Sense 8, comma, one of two. Select. Sense 8, movies and TV. Two items. Movies and TV. Movies and TV. Sense 8, button. Select. Sense 8, watch now with Netflix. One select. Of and we immediately Playing. then launch Netflix. One hour, three minutes, five seconds Even remaining. Platinum blonde stares at the blonde. Press OK room. to pause. Daytime, the woman with chin-length hair, eyes wide. The blonde stands in a pool of light at the club. Pause. Paused. Home, two of seven. So this now is perhaps the nicest Use left way and right to move between us. To watch Netflix as well, because it's got full voice search integration. And that, I think, is all of the time I should take for demos. I see some questions. Brian, I leave it to you whether I should take those now or... So, we have this room till 4 o'clock. We have two other things that I wanted to get to before the 4 o'clock hour arrives. Um, one is an update on a survey that the Information Access Committee and... Uh, what's the other committee, Carl? media subcommittee for the audio description project want to hear about that and i want to get an update on where things stand with our interaction with microsoft i'm anticipating that each one of those will last for about 20 to 30 minutes fair description presenters they're quiet back there Exactly. So Jeff was saying that since Microsoft is doing several presentations during the conference that uh, he might be able to go through what he needs to share with us in less than that 30 minutes. And how about our survey group? You could just be five. They all just want to get at it. No, no. I think they want to hear what's going on as much as the rest of you might. So let me just get a quick shout out. How many people want to continue on with this and get some Q&A going? Those who are wishing we'd move along? So it's about a 50-50 split. So Peter, I'm going to let you take... Wait, the, the second group of applause, I just want to make sure it was understood, is that we move along and don't do more with Amazon. Was that accurate? Excellent. Okay. So... I want to allow Peter to take four questions, and then we'll see how the clock runs, okay? All right. Well, I so see three four questions. Four, I, see, uh, I see five hands. Uh, unfortunately, Terrell, yours was the fifth, and you've also asked one before. So uh, in the back row, yes, gentleman in the polo shirt. Yes. Yes. So uh, the gentleman notes that when we launched Voice, when we launched Netflix, 
things got louder. So there are two ways to make your app accessible to blind customers. One is you follow the accessibility API patterns and let VoiceView read your app. The other is you make a self-voicing app. I'm sorry to say that while Netflix is quite accessible, it is a self-voicing accessible app. You can't get into review mode with VoiceView. You can't spell actors' names or any of that within the Netflix UI. It's a self-voicing app, and it doesn't respect the VoiceView text-to-speech volume level, which is in our settings UI. Uh, front row polo shirt. So the question was, how is the integration to Fios TV? Fios. Um, I honestly have not tried that. Um, assuming that Fios TV exposed all of the program information following the, the conventions, uh, you should have all the, the electronic program guide populated, and it would behave just as you saw with over the air. But I have not personally tested it. Yeah, just like a cable box. Yeah, now when I was playing with this at CSUN, we got a cable feed from the hotel. And we got a very poor amount of information, but still a tiny bit of information in the electronic program guide that was accessible. It was just there was very little information to be had because they weren't fully following those conventions. There was a third question. You're, you're my fourth on, on my left. There's a third question. Yes, the, the gentleman in the black T-shirt in the back row. Yes. The question was about the fire stick. The fire stick, you, can, you have the same basic interface. You have voice view. You have Alexa. Fire stick cannot tune over the air broadcast. So Fire Stick won't pull in ABC, CBS over the air. There are apps, and ABC and CBS uh, do have apps that will deliver a portion of their programming over the Internet. Similarly, there's an app called Pluto TV that will pull a fair amount of over-the-air content, not over the air, but over the internet. So the stick is internet only. There is no and cable interface. There is, right, it's $39, and it's Wi-Fi only. The, the ports on it are power and HDMI. And so it's getting everything over Wi-Fi. There's a larger Fire TV that also has an Ethernet port. But there is no coax port. There is no way to plug a cable box into a Fire TV or Fire TV stick. Likewise, there are no HDMI inputs to plug in a PlayStation, an Xbox, a Blu-ray player. All of that comes with the television. Nonetheless, you have Alexa, you have VoiceView, you have Netflix, you have Hulu, etc.
you have PBS as an app, uh, and so on. Final question from the woman to my left. Right, if you want Voice View and Alexa in your flat screen TV, you need to get a Fire TV edition flat screen TV from either Westinghouse, which is what this is, or Element Electronics. You can get that on Amazon.com, and it will be in a number of big box retailers. So uh, I think that concludes my remarks. Brian, everyone, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Peter's going to stop by, and the two of you can work out. Okay? Unfortunately, uh, this was a somewhat last-minute addition to my travel itinerary, and we do not have the staff here uh, for hands-on play uh, in the exhibit hall. I'm very sorry about that. Uh, there is an increasing number of physical bookstores uh, that are Amazon physical bookstores as well as pop-up stores. And all of these have Fire TV sticks, Fire TVs in them. They will very likely have Fire TV edition smart TVs in them, but since those are just starting to ship now, I wouldn't expect those to be in the bookstores today. Um, I will also hang out a little bit at the end of this session for some hands-on play. So, so you are a committee member. Right, so he just violated the four-question rule himself. That's what, he, that's what Peter's saying. But go ahead and ask the, see if you can restate the question and answer. So the, 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 question, the question was, um, Apple and um, Amazon uh, just got together and worked out bringing Amazon Video to the Apple TV. Uh, I don't believe that's shipping yet. And as a long-standing policy, we do not comment on things that aren't shipping. But as I was saying earlier, we are device agnostic, and we would like our stuff to be accessible everywhere. And I will just let that statement stand. Stand for itself. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So that's the end of this first portion. I hope that it uh, gave you an opportunity to see some of what's involved. When I talked about partnerships associated with the activities of the Information Access Committee, this is one of those partnerships. Uh, we go to see them at conferences. You will hear Eric Bridges talk about going to CSUN. Jeff was out at... Were you at CSUN this year, Jeff? You were at CSUN as well. So we try to get to all the major conferences. We're invited in to the developer conferences associated with this. Sometimes we're presenters. Sometimes we're just there to learn. And sometimes we're there because these folks, these companies, do not have direct access to blind people so easily as we do. 
So we try to bring opportunities for you to impact on the future development of these companies. Now, because we're interested in what your experiences are, two of our committees got together and decided to do a survey. And I'm now going to ask Tony Stevens and Rebecca Bridges to come up here to the podium. Oh, okay, that's fine, that's fine. So it's Carl Richardson and Tony Stevens are coming up here to give you a brief idea of what's been going on relative to information collection from our membership. So please welcome Carl Richardson. Good afternoon, everybody. So I'm gonna be real quick because I think Tony has most of the information, but um, at, at the same time, both the audio description project and the information, I just turned off the microphone. Now, can you hear me? Okay, the Information Access Committee and the Media Subcommittee for the Audio Description Group were working on trying to collect data about how to improve audio description. And the Audio Description Project was looking at movie theaters and DVD, and the Information Access Committee was looking at television. So it was decided, why not combine the both of them? So Rebecca Bridges, Peggy Carpenter, Dan Boone, myself joined together to form a survey. And we created the survey with about 20 questions and we covered the areas of television and broadcast cable, movie theaters, DVDs, and streaming. All to do with audio description. And we took the questions we put together and went to a, um, one of my former professors at Suffolk University at the Moakley Center for for public service who specializes in doing surveys and polls. And she helped us tighten the questions up and put it on SurveyMonkey and help us collect the data. And if you remember last summer at this convention, we were doing the survey then, and we collected data from 489 participants. So with a true collaborative effort and, blind, and the questions went across the wide range of geographic area, age, uh, blind, low vision, all those things, and I'll let Tony Steven tell you what the data had to say, but I don't think you'll be surprised by any of it. All right, hello everybody. All right, uh, just out of curiosity with some hands, how many, who has cut the cord, uh, and not meaning they had a kid, and, and talking about after the kid's born, but in terms of cable? Can I just get a clap? Anybody cut cable? I'm one of those myself. Um, who still has cable? Okay, this is an unscientific poll. Who strictly uses just antenna, the good old-fashioned terrestrial? A few in there. Okay, so it's a good mix in the room. Hopefully what I'll share for a few minutes is just a, a little bit of a snapshot on what, what is an impressive sort of benchmark survey. And we've actually used this survey, I think, to, to yield some positive results in our activities with the Federal Communications Commission. Uh, we're very excited. A lot of you know the Communications and Video Accessibility Act of 2010, uh, which was passed that Eric Bridges was a huge part in getting that passed, as well as folks like Brian and Carl up here as well, and others in the room, um, you know, helped to give us audio description. Uh, we only get on the major network channels in the United States, uh, which are the, the t they pick the top four channels. Uh, only give us, what is it, like four hours a week, 50 hours a quarter. 
isn't a lot of time when you figure captioning gives us roughly 100% uh, for the deaf and hard of hearing community. Uh, there's also five cable networks as well. Um, and then you begin to see the great advancements that, that folks that, that Peter had been showing that Amazon uh, you know, and, and Netflix and others have been doing and providing audio description. So it's important to note that at the time that this survey was done last summer, uh, we had over 400 respondents. It gave us a statistical significance that was pretty relevant, uh, meaning that it was, it was a statistically sound survey. So the numbers we think, you know, have a typical margin of error, which means, you know, give or take a few plus or minuses on the percentages that I'm about to give you. Uh, it's, pre it's pretty accurate amongst the population we were looking at. Uh, we, we offer the survey uh, via multiple channels, not just to ACB members, but through all of our social media channels, so it got sort of publicized widely. Um, and it had some interesting results. Uh, I'll get to some of the positive effects at the end of it. I think that these results have helped sort of pave the way towards furthering that number from four hours to more hours. But uh, the big snapshot as it stood, 91% of the folks that were surveyed had used some sort of audio description at some point. Uh, that means the televisions, that means the cables, that means, you know, even though Amazon is, is, is the, the, the newest one, fortunately, but, you know, what limited audio description was available, we, we think about how much it's come this past year alone, thanks to the work Carl and Brian and, and others are doing on the audio description project and others. Um, but, you know, in that sense, 91%, that's a pretty, that's a pretty impressive number uh, of folks that at some point have used it, showing that it really is, uh, you know, something that is, that has been taken up by our community. It's not like, for example, the uh, accessible currency readers that some of you know for the money that NLS is pushing out, where they've only gotten maybe like th a little over 30,000 of those pushed out of the several million people in the country who are blind or visually impaired. So that is a positive number, I think, showing that it is something, you know, like captioning is dependent for people who are deaf and hard of hearing. So too, audio description is a major part of our experience. What was impressive as well, that when we asked people, do you think there needs to be more audio description? Going back to that four hours, three quarters strongly agreed. Not like, oh, I kind of agree, and then there's the strongly agreed, but three quarters agreed, yes, there needs to be more. Uh, it was an interesting breakdown uh, amongst, across the board. Um, the 53% of the people were 50 and older, meaning, you know, it, it, it steered sort of in the demographics of our population. Uh, but going back to that interesting, you know, sort of those that are watching cable right now, 82% of people 50 and over are cable. They're much less likely to cut the cord and more traditional broadcast viewers and their traditional cable viewers um, are, are in that population sort of demographic. Um, but what's interesting uh, of that number, you know, it was 69% of the survey was completely blind. 21% of the people who responded uh, to the survey were visually impaired, but we also had 8% of people that responded who, had, who were perfectly sighted, who had no vision impairment. Uh, a number of those indicated other disabilities. One person said, you know, they watched video description. It really helped with their autism uh, to help them focus on watching the show. So that's a community that we're trying to reach out to uh, to help sort of expand, you know, in the developmental disability community where we think this could be very important as well for that population. But, you know, three-quarters of those who were perfectly sighted said they also use audio description. In a sense, they, they might watch it with their partners, uh, but of that 8% that did respond that was sighted, 34% of them said that, or no, excuse me, three quarters of them, 75% of them said that they did watch it. Um, so love it or leave it, uh, our, our spouses are going to be stuck with it, I guess, or at least they don't mind it that much. They're willing to put up with it. Um, you know, again, this was a benchmark survey. Those were some of the, the I think, real top data points that, that was the big basic takeaway 
that we've been pushing before the Federal Communications Commission that we need more. Uh, that was probably the biggest thing to come out of the survey, that the overwhelming majority of folks strongly agree to the statement that there is not enough audio description on. We are fortunate, uh, just as a, a very millisecond Washington update, and I'll give more update uh, when I speak to everyone in the general session on Wednesday, but on July 13th, the FCC is going to vote to make it up to seven hours. So they're going to finally pass forward the, the rule uh, to give us now seven hours a week, which isn't a lot. We're not at 100% yet, but it's a pretty good number. So all in all, I'd say the survey is a very important benchmark survey. What's going to be fascinating is more and more is things like Amazon Fire and Alexa uh, and Netflix and, and uh, the work that, that you know is going on with the Xbox and other places where we get our, our viewing entertainment uh, and media, and that, that those are audio described. You know, I think we're going to find more and more uh, you know, in the future, uh, we're going to have to retake this survey and, and continue to see what trends there are and where the demand is and, and kind of follow it that way. So, but an excellent work. Thanks to Carl. Thanks to Dr. Rivers up at Boston, uh, who was a big support to this. It's been real helpful for us down in the national office in D.C. to really sort of carry a positive message for audio description to uh, all the stakeholders involved around communications inside the Beltway in D.C. So, thanks, everyone. Any, any real quick questions anyone has? I, I did a real quick over snap, a snapshot of the survey, and Carl, I think, has something, too. I just want to say that we all... So the, the other thing that was interesting is when you looked at both the cable and the movie theater section, what that they said, the lack of knowledge among the staff, um, and so there needs to be better training from the cable installers to the customer service representative over the phone. Same thing when you go to the movie theater. You know, I... You know, you might get handed an assisted listening device rather than the descriptive video device. So training and knowledge was also another concern. What, well, one thing to add, one thing to add to that as well. Forty-five percent of folks also said they had a hard time trying to find it. Have you all had that trouble? Clap if you have. Let's see if we have about forty-five percent. That's about forty-five percent, or maybe even a little more here. Um, but yeah, so uh, you know, it, it helps to make it as easy as as we heard sort of demoed earlier. I think. The, the folks that provide it are getting smarter and getting it to us easier. Um, and now that the, the final rules have gone into effect where you're supposed to be able to use a remote uh, with your cable box, you'll be able to turn on much easier and the cable boxes are more accessible. My hope is next time we do this survey, maybe in a year or two, we'll get better results on that number. Any questions? Over here to the left. Go ahead. Go ahead. They are supposed to be getting better, yes. Um, and I gave, I gave the email address, and we've been getting complaints. If you have an issue with movie theaters, we're taking data through the summer. I'll make an announcement again on Wednesday. But please send an email to advocacy at acb.org. That's advocacy at acb.org. If you have any issues with the movie theaters, because as of January 17th, they legally were supposed to be making sure that equipment worked, and not only worked, but the 16-year-old that is putting butter on your popcorn also is supposed to know how to use them. So... <laughs> Any other questions? I think there was one to my left. Or my right, sorry. Hold on in the back. Go ahead. We do have a write-up. If you just search online uh, on the ACB website and just type in audio description survey in the search bar, you'll get a press release that has at a glance that breaks down the survey data information on the top line level. Um, we don't have uh, available uh, the, all the survey data per se, that's, that's uh, accessible to give people to the public, but we do have the top-line numbers, and there's a little bit more information on that. So just go to our website and search for Audio Description Survey, and you'll see details there with some other information that's of interest. 
Uh, to the left up here, yeah, go ahead. Oh, thanks, Steve, yeah. That's right. No, that's right. And I think we put the press release up on our website that CCB had sent out. Thanks for reminding me, Stephen. And that was with AMC Movie Theaters. So uh, if it's an AMC Movie Theater especially, go check that out. I think, was it with, who did you guys work with that, DRA? A couple, okay, I think it's listed on the thing, just for complaints and things. Or you can let us know that advocacy email we'll forward on to make sure CCB gets information if it's specifically AMC Theaters. Uh, Any other questions? One more question. None? Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Yeah, Brian. Is that it? Okay, things keep changing. I have to say that uh, I go to the movie theater not as often as I'd like to. Uh, However, when I go, it's likely to be a long time if when I show up, the device isn't working. Uh, I don't like the idea of showing up at a movie theater, sit down, the movie begins, and only then do I know the device isn't working. And so there's some interesting things going on, including the inclusion of a piece that will precede the movie that has audio description in it so that you will know before that opening splash that there's something wrong with this headset. Uh, I've gone on a couple of date nights uh, at one of those luxury theaters, you know, sitting in the, uh, do I want one of those at home? Anyway, and they bring you dinner to your place. That's really, really nice. And to spend that kind of money and have the screen open up with no description, even though you're wearing a headset, very, very disappointing. So we, I always tell people, you know, we work really hard to pass legislation. But that's only step one. Step two, write regulations to implement it. What's step three? enforcement so I have to say I know many more movie theater managers than I ever want to know because I never leave a happy customer and the number one way that they try to recompense me is to give me a ticket to come back again but I'm less likely to show up again under those circumstances so we watch these things all the time now While we're worrying about audio description and those kind of things in one arena, while we're worrying about uh, access to these technologies that Peter demonstrated to us here in other areas of our life, we are also very interested in general accessibility. And ACB, I'm proud to say, you know, when when people say, "Why, why be a member of ACB? What's in it for me? That makes me so furious, I cannot begin to tell you. But people do ask that question. What's in it for me? Well, what's in it for you is a collective voice. And one of the people that's been the collective voice of ACB for us in our interactions with a little company called Microsoft has been Mr. Jeff Bishop. And I'm going to ask him to come up here 
and give you a brief idea of where things stand with ACB's relationship with Microsoft, where he as a professional in the field feels things are, and a bit of an insider's view of where they're going. Okay, Mr. Jeff Bishop. Good afternoon, everybody. So, who's using Windows 10? Okay, who's not? All right. Well, let's talk about where we are with Microsoft. This journey uh, began with, with ACB a couple of years ago, and uh, about the time that Windows 10 shipped. And we have been working uh, closely, Rory, down, uh, closely with Microsoft to assist them in understanding where some of the issues have been that they needed to focus on. And, and actually, they knew a lot of this already, but we, we played a pivotal role in, in all of that. Uh, before I get to, um, to Windows 10 specifically, let's talk about uh, the, the other area that we focus with them on, and that's Office, Microsoft Office. So... I find this very interesting to find out what people are using. So if, are you, you, who, how many of you are, you are using Office 365, meaning the subscription-based product? Okay. How many are, are using the standalone Office? All right. Well, <clears throat> part of the work that we did was we wanted to make sure that whether you're a student, whether you are someone in, in an employment situation or you're just at home, and wanting to write a letter to you know, a family member, that we wanted you to be able to do that accessibly. So one of the things that ACB worked hard at was to talk with the office team about changes to office to make it a more enriching and delightful experience. So uh, Microsoft has literally made hundreds and hundreds, and that's, that's actually probably a low estimate, of accessibility improvements across, across office. Uh, the changes that, you, that you'll see are in the Office 365 version of Office only. So if you were to go and buy a box copy of Office, which is really hard to find these days anyway, but if you were to, to get that, the latest version of that is Office 2016, was released, uh, I think, around the middle part of, of uh, 2015. And except for security updates and some minor changes, it really hasn't gotten a lot of updates from an accessibility perspective. Whereas the Office 365 releases get updates all the time. Every month you'll see accessibility improvements. Uh, this includes things like, uh, how many of you use PowerPoint? Okay. Do you struggle with it like me? Okay. Well, there's a really cool new feature in Office 365 for PowerPoint called the PowerPoint Designer. So think of this. You create a slide and you want to add a picture. Let's say it's a, you're talking about cars and you want to find a picture of a car. And you, you either find the picture or you have PowerPoint help you find that picture. And it will automatically add alt text to that image. And not only that, but it will size the image and also make your PowerPoint slide professionally appearing. And it will do that as you add each slide. It's called the PowerPoint Designer. 
So this is huge. This was uh, when we were at the Microsoft Ignite conference. Uh, Pat Sheehan and I went out there and spoke uh, as, on a panel at Ignite for Microsoft, and they were showing this at the Ignite conference. It was a very, very new feature for uh, PowerPoint at that time. There are lots and lots of changes to Outlook and Word. Uh, there's a new spell checker in Microsoft Word. Some people say they like it. Others say that it, it's, gonna, you know, it's taking a little bit of getting used to. But uh, it, it's, it's quite nice because you can actually get Word in context now and you can actually have it speak the word to you and spell it. Um, lots of really cool improvements there. So the thing I want to leave you with here about Office is make sure to get on Office 365. It's where you want to be from an accessibility perspective. You can get Office 365 in two versions. The personal version is $69 a year, and then you can also get uh, the home version, which is 99 and you can put it on up to five different computers. And with that, you also get a terabyte of disk space for each of those users uh, where you can put files up in the cloud. So it's actually one heck of a deal if you think about it. All right, so <clears throat> let's talk about uh, Windows. Windows, uh, Windows 10 it has really made some significant ch uh, changes in the area of accessibility. Um, thank you, puppy. And uh, one of the th how, how many of you have tried to now this is sort of a geeky thing, but we have a geeky audience here. One of the biggest changes that we've seen in Windows 10 just this last fall is the ability to independently install Windows without cited assistance. So this is big. This is big for uh, especially people who are uh, consultants, who are out in the field doing installations and IT-type personnel, that type of a thing. Um, the Microsoft announced the changes that are coming in the fall for Windows 10, and one of the big changes coming this year is more Braille support. Now, this was started last year. Uh, Judy Dixon, one of our members of ACB, has played a pivotal role in providing feedback to Microsoft about Braille, and uh, they continue to make changes in, in Braille for the future release. Um, there is uh, device help, uh, or keyboard help, similar to what we see in like JAWS for Windows and NVDA, you know, insert one uh, type of uh, feedback. Um, this is coming to uh, Narrator in the fall. And if you are brave and you want to, to provide feedback, because Microsoft is all about wanting to get feedback from our members, then you can join either the Office Insider or Windows Insider programs. Um, Office Insider is relatively safe. I, I will say I have not run into uh, issues where I've had to roll back an Office release. I can't say that, uh, well, it depends on which ring you want to join on the Windows Insider branch, but it, that's a little more, well, <laughs> You want to be a little more skilled in, in, in your computing environment if you want to join the Windows Insider group. Um, but if you're interested in that, see me. I can definitely help with that. As far as the future of where uh, Microsoft is, is headed as far as access accessibility, I can tell you with a surety that the commitment is strong across the entire company. Uh, there, are being, there are changes being made concerning software development, meaning in Visual Studio, the Visual, visual Code Editor, has just gotten an update so that it now works very well with NVDA uh, and a lot more. Um, so it's, it's really neat to see the company really thriving and, and pushing the envelope across the entire spectrum. Tomorrow, 
Uh, Bits is going to have a member of the Windows team here, Brett Humphrey, and he's going to talk about Narrator for about two and a half hours, actually. So if you uh, want to get a lot of detail on that, then go to that presentation in the afternoon. I think it starts at 1.15. And, uh, and then there are going to be some sessions on Tuesday afternoon. Microsoft is looking for feedback from users who use Microsoft Office. And it starts at 2.45 to 5.30. Look at your convention program for details if you want to go over there. I would highly recommend it. They're really looking for great feedback and they want to hear from you. Um, I don't know if I should talk about, uh, well, um, I will, um, I can tell you that Microsoft's commitment is strong because they're, they're make, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're hiring good people. <laughs> um, that's Brian speaking, not me. Um, so I am moving to, uh, Seattle and am joining the Windows Narrator team. And uh, so I hope that uh, I'm going to be able to make a, a difference in, in bringing even more accessibility to our community. So um, the team is fantastic. I had an opportunity uh, earlier this year to go out and, and uh, attend the Microsoft Ability Summit. And uh, as part of that week, I also spent some really fun time sitting around the table talking with developers and program managers about the future versions of Windows, of which I can't talk about or else I'd probably get shot. Um, yeah, I can get, yeah, exactly, yeah, I can't talk about it. But I will say this, that, that uh, Microsoft is very, very committed to accessibility uh, and the future is extremely bright. Um, so stay tuned, it's, uh, it's gonna be a wild ride, I think. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Anyone have any questions? Yep. Sure. Um, uh, what I will say is I, I don't have a lot of detail on that, but what we can definitely get you in contact with the right group again and, and, and recircle the wagon and start that conversation again, for sure. Let's do that. Yes. That's a, great, that's a great question. So um, they, they are making changes both on the Mac versions. I'm sorry? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So the question is, uh, the versions of Office 365, are they making changes just in the Windows release, or are they also making changes in the, the Mac versions, as well as iOS and Android versions? I can tell you that... Um, that accessibility improvements are being made across all of those families, uh, which, is, which is really, really exciting. There's, a, there's an application called OneNote. Any, everyone, anyone familiar with that? Right, okay. 
Well, until just recently, OneNote has not been very accessible, right? It's been this just kind of a black box that we really, really never had access to. And um, last December, just, just prior to Christmas, Microsoft sent the OneNote team to my uh, place of employment, and we spent a whole day uh, playing with OneNote, the, new, the newest versions of OneNote for the Mac and uh, on iOS. And I will tell you that the versions of OneNote uh, that we played with are now released, and you can get them, and they're now accessible. So if uh, you want to play with OneNote, now is the time to get it. It's, uh, it's fantastic. It's, we, we haven't had an app like this in a long, long time. It's, um, it's a really cool app, and, and I use it all the time. It, its purpose is to uh, take notes and organize them into to notebooks so you can, you can uh, sort of keep your, keep, keep your life straight. You can keep checklists, and I've been using it for my move to Seattle. Trust me, uh, when you try to do this quickly, it... it can be a little overwhelming. <laughs> you can share the notebooks. Uh, you, can, it, you, you basically can add any type of object to the notebook itself. So you can have web pages, Word documents, Excel, spreadsheets, uh, PowerPoint presentations, uh, anything you want, uh, text files, anything you want to the, uh, the canvas of the OneNote document. Uh, and you can share them and you can collaborate together. And it's, uh, yep, it's fun. It's fun stuff. Anyone else? Okay. The last version of Windows that I used was Carol, by the way. The last version of Windows that I used was very good. I helped people with it get support voluntarily from friends and friends. was Windows XP. Okay. Um, the version that you either have that on is now a drawer and a printer. I'm completely clueless. Well, um, I, I think that uh, if you if you're used to XP, um, the you know the the transition to Windows uh, Seven and then to Windows Ten would 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 not be. I mean, there are differences, but I no, it's not that bad. It really, really isn't. Um, if you can get Windows Seven, then you can get a free copy of Windows Ten. That's still being offered at the Microsoft Accessibility website for those people who use assistive technology. Um, and uh, there are other um, uh, people who provide training material on Windows itself, so that might be something you might want to look into as well. Uh, why don't you and I talk offline? Okay, we'll talk about that offline. All right? Okay. Uh, any other questions? All right. Oh, the Surface? Um, what, do you have a specific question about the Surface? Yes, um, I can tell you that, that the accessibility team is definitely aware of, you know, touch environment, you know, touch uh, devices such as tablets. And uh, they, they continue to make improvements there as well as far as accessibility improvements. So, yep, that's definitely happening. All right, any other questions?
All right, well, we'll stay tuned and uh, we'll keep you up to date. Thanks, Brian. When we started Information 411 a number of years back, uh, it's all we could do to get the attention of any of our special interest affiliates or other committees on issues that were just too techy for everybody. Um, now, take a look at the program at the ACB National Conference and Convention. A good, I think, 75% of it has to do with technology. Whether it's FIA's MIDI workshop or, or students um, learning more about online learning, whatever it might be, virtually every affiliate has a component that has to do with technology. That's a good thing. But it also means that it leaves us without having to do so much pushing here. We also have more time on the general program than ever before dealing with technologies. Part of what drives that is there's so many things going on that matter to us. So you're going to be hearing from Google and Microsoft and Apple and yada and da 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 da. Oh, I can't I have to say Amazon too. Uh, you're going to be hearing from all of those folks, right, during the course of this week on the main program. I'm pleased to say that the information companies out there get what ACB is about. And they are the single largest contributors and sponsors of this convention. They make the ACB convention collectively a winning proposition. Used to be we had to set aside quite a bit of money because this convention lost money year after year. That is no longer the case, thanks to our partnership. Now, sometimes you got to watch out about those partnerships, right? Maybe the reason they're giving ACB funding for its activities is because they are uh, kind of trying to buy our loyalty. I can assure you that is not the case, that none of these relationships have required that we back off on any of the things we brought forward to them. There are little things called NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, that virtually every company out there requires that anybody who gets to look at things from the inside and provide advice from the inside have to sign or they're not welcome in the room. So we apologize that from time to time you only hear about things that have been done, not things that are being done at this moment. That's just the nature of this issue of, of intellectual property and not wanting to give up a competitive advantage and those kinds of things. I hope that as you interact with these companies, many of whom will be in the exhibit hall, many of whom are conducting focus groups and trainings during the course of this convention, that you show them some love. Give them appreciation. Tell them that we appreciate that they are not only listening to us, but also value what it is we do enough to financially support those efforts. It's really hard to get anything done without a little cash in the drawer. Uh, and this, this would all be part of that example. Um, I have a good friend, Rick Morin, who's the AV guy for the convention. And he and I go round and round on the subject, and that is, are these companies going to do what they're doing because it's the right thing to do or because it is the good business reason 
to do it. And I honestly don't think that there's a difference between the two. You heard Peter mention his disability customers. He didn't say those people out there with disabilities. He called us customers, and that's right. We are customers. And these companies are coming to us because they're starting to understand that we're customers. Now, we're not customers who are going to bring them 75 million new buyers of the latest gadget. But we are, they're selling to a whole series of micro groups. They can't make it by trying to sell one thing to everybody. They've got to develop devices, tools, features that help one party without hurting another party. And I think you've heard some of that work here today. Now, I'd like to use the next few minutes to do a little polling of my own. And that polling is about what kinds of subjects, what kind of burning issues do you have that you'd like the IAC to take on? I might, might say from time to time when you bring one of these up that we are working on that, and I'll try my best not to sound like, oh, well, of course that. Uh, the fact of the matter is that there's more things to do in the day than there are t hours in the day to do them. So we, t we do a series of prioritization exercises to make sure that we're working on the things with the biggest impact. So I would like to know, does anybody have a, a burning issue they've been dealing with that they'd love to have the IAC take a look at? I've heard, I've heard several voices. Uh, I'm going to go to my far right-hand side front. Hi, haven't heard your voice yet. So the question or the, the statement is that touchscreen interactive devices like point of sale machines, like kiosks in airports, these kinds of things, that is a huge block to total inclusion of blind people out there in the real world. Don't deny it at all. No darn good and well that in fact um, there's not universal accessibility in that space member of the committee and uh, employee of United Airlines over there, Mr. Ray Campbell, said, we're working on that. And I'm, and I'm confident that not only is United working on it, but a number of different entities are. When it comes to those seat back systems, I think I was flying on a, it might have been a uh, 777. Anyway, the only way to call the flight attendant was to touch a screen area that had no tactile indication, right? That's a serious problem to me, you know? Let me know when the bathroom's empty. How am I supposed to get your attention? Anyway, 
those things are things that we're working on in a variety of ways. There is within the U.S. system right now an advisory committee that's building the newest regulations dealing with requirements as airliners are either built or refurbished. And it places in there a requirement that those on-screen systems be accessible. Uh, For our friends who are wheelchair users, it also requires accessible bathrooms. So while we're busy worrying about whether or not we're going to get to watch Netflix on the thing, you know, they, they have some pretty big concerns of their own, and this is dealing with those issues as well. Tony Stevens is our representative on that committee. Now, when I got on the plane to come here on a United plane, I looked up for that little screen in front of me so that I could just kind of tap it and let it know who was boss, and there wasn't one. Instead, the seat back had a bracket in it that would allow you to take your personal tablet or device and load it onto the back of the seat in front of you, and then you can wirelessly connect it to the system of the airplane. So you could bring your own accessibility. If you were using an iPad, you could just snap it into the seat back in front of you. They were anxious for you to rent a device, and they brought those uh, on board, and I guess some people did that, but I bet you 9 out of 10 people took their own device if they were doing this and put that up there. So part of the problems with regulations is it takes so long to implement them that the world around us will change before we get there. Probably the biggest example of that is tactile currency. I handle much less real cash these days than I used to. And I'm only hoping that I'll still have paper money to feel when the day comes. Thank you for that input. I really do appreciate that. Others? Uh, I hear, is it Patrick in the back? And then I'm going to go to Steve here in the front. So, Patrick? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I understand that problem. (laughs) My problem is whatever I bought is what was the best, you know. It's kind of like those people who become really big fans of a particular model of a car because if it was a bad decision, they were the ones who made it. You know what I mean? So you kind of believe your own propaganda after a while. Yeah, it's the best device. Otherwise, somebody smart like you wouldn't have bought one. So I'd love to see something like that done. At this point, the entity that does the most of that kind of comparative work is American Foundation for the Blind through their Access World uh, effort. They frequently do those things because somebody sponsored them to do them. That don't come free. Um, If you have an idea of some entity that you would trust their evaluation, that would be terrific. Do I hear a suggestion? All right. So I'm, I'm marking that down. I agree. I've already bought so much into the Amazon ecosystem that it would cost me an unreasonable amount of money to give that to relatives and move on to something else. And I think you see, saw today why I'm not anxious to do that for a little while. There you go. Steve? 
Then I'm going to Penny. Absolutely true. Uh, again, we're talking about, well, I have to admit, there's hardly, there's never a week, but there's sometimes never a day in a week where there's not a package on my front porch. I do so much of my shopping online from a variety of different sources. Um, though, though, if you really want to get my attention, give me free shipping. I, I'll do almost anything for free shipping, I guess. But the whole nature of the marketplace is changing. Do you remember when the little store down at the end of the street there rented you VCR videos? Oh, did those people complain when we went to a different model? Thank goodness we did. Um, when it came to, well, right now, who's the biggest complainers about Uber and Lyft? And don't say guide dog users, they're second. Nope. Number one, it's taxi companies, right? The people who have a vested interest in the current model are the ones who are going to find ways to drag their fate and do all kinds of things for there not to be a change. Now, you and I both know there was nothing wonderful about the first ATMs that came out because they came out and limited bank hours, right? And, and not only the employment issue for all those people who were tellers, but the fact of the matter was the only way we had access to banking was through those tellers. And then we lost the tellers before we got access to the ATMs. And what Steve's talking about is that disconnect between a changing universe out there, we're not gonna change it, it's moving the direction it is. Clearly, uh, with the current climate in DC, um, that second part, the regulatory part, is not going to be in our favor in this environment. It's gonna be a very constructionist, if the law didn't specifically say pizza shops have to be accessible, then there's no reason for pizza bot shops to be accessible. I'm picking on pizza because one of the first entities that got involved in this idea of as little public interaction as possible in the restaurant world was a pizza joint in New York City. You know, you kind of dialed the pizza on a touch screen and it indicated which drawer you were to open for your pizza to come popping out uh, 
yes, like an automat kind of thing, revisited in the new tech world. But it's inaccessible. Itza, that's the example. However, um, Itza is finding that people kind of like people. And they're not being nearly as financially successful as they thought they were. But after a while, you know, somebody tells the lie often enough, people start believing it. So maybe if these companies have enough financial backing, they can continue to lose money long enough to make us all think that that's the normal way to go buy pizza. And we have to make sure that we have access to it. I've got to go back to, to tell you a real quick story. I was at dinner one evening with Eric Bridges and uh, the head of accessibility for Apple. Anybody remember her name? Sarah Herlinger, that's right. And the maitre d' came by and gave us a iPad to select the wine for the evening. And Eric uh, turned on voiceover and was able to order the wine for the evening. That's the kind of access I want. As these tablets, uh, did tablets arrive at the dinner tables of your restaurants? These little things that say instead of the waitress coming by to ask if you'd like a refill, you're supposed to touch the tablet to indicate you'd like a refill. I went to, a, I think it's a fairly popular restaurant, um, Olive Garden. Pretty popular around the country. And that's the only, I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting any attention after I bought my meal. Because I didn't touch the little screen to say, I'm ready to go. I'm ready for a refill. So, and the person came back and said, well, why didn't you touch the... And they looked at me. I think I felt, I felt like I was in that, uh, what is it, Alice's Restaurant? Where they looked at the pictures and looked at the seeing eye dog. Yeah. Very much like that. Okay, uh, let's see. I think somebody at my far right, and then I'm going over to Larry. Like, Penny. In fact, ACB is working with um, a couple of different associations of manufacturers of things like home appliances, dishwashers, washers, dryers, heavens the other day. Uh, yeah, refrigerators. Hey, you don't have to do anything. Just stand in front of your refrigerator and you can see inside of it without opening it. Uh, well, they do have one that delivers uh, uh, Keurig coffee to the door. Yeah, so there's some pretty crazy ones out there. Now, my, this is a, such an important issue because you and I, most of us, don't buy appliances. We rent apartments. And who bought that appliance in the apartment? Huge issue for renters, especially renters who have no choice about what was there. So, remember what... Uh, Tony said, what email address to send your concern about? 
advocacy at acb.org. We really need testimonials. I went to buy a new stove. Um, I love to cook. I went to buy a new stove. And the first thing I had to do was to eliminate the 90% of the stoves that simply were out of the picture to begin with. And then I needed to find one where I couldn't control most of, with no hope of controlling all of, its features. Uh, For example, uh, time bake. Any of the time features. I can't come up with a workaround to do those kinds of things. And I'm not sure I ever want to use time bake, but I don't want to be denied access to it because I'm a, a person who needs speech. So we use beeps creatively in, in making things accessible. So absolutely, it is on our top three list is appliance accessibility. We'd love to expand. Maybe we'll get the exhibit space to pull this off when we're in St. Louis. But an appliance section of the, of the uh, exhibit hall, specifically for appliance companies to come show us their best effort. Yes. Please. Here comes Mr. Peter Korn. Uh, I have been uh, watching the appliance space ever since Greg Vanderheiden introduced appliance accessibility issues to me when I was more or less his apprentice some 25 years ago when I got into this field. And I have been really delighted by what I see starting to evolve with all kinds of appliance manufacturers interested in connecting with Alexa. And that doesn't solve all the problems. A stove that I will not mention the name of um, tied in beautifully with Alexa, except you had to reach over the entire stove surface to the button at the back of the stove to tell it, I'm here, before you then used Alexa and your voice to turn it on. Uh, For reasons of safety concerns. Uh, which gets into advocacy. But I'm, I'm delighted that more and more appliance manufacturers are starting to hook into Alexa. And I think that part of the critical advocacy role is to make sure that when they do it, they're not just thinking about the sighted user and the eight things the sighted user wants to do with voice, but the three other things <laughs> that yes. round out to the full set of 11 that somebody who can't see or somebody who can't use their hands or somebody who has some other disability would like to be fully accessible. But it's really neat to see how rapidly that's happening. And it's very much akin to the shift to using a tablet for ordering wine or other shifts where we're using some other tool, whether it's the, the accessible stove app on my iPhone or whether it's an interconnection to a voice assistant like Echo or Google Home or what have you. So I'm really, really delighted. By where yeah, I going. think there's great potential in that space. One of the difficulties with white goods is when do you replace your stove? When it's dead, you know? That's when I can afford to change a stove. This is not like that iPhone in my pocket that I'm going to have to change in two to two and a half 
or three years because the features that I want aren't in this one. I don't buy a stove because I'm unhappy with how its timer works. Do you? No. So, and, and they, they, the other thing that has happened, I think, in the white goods area over time has been that they see what great things are happening in the computer space and try to adopt, adapt it and adopt it quickly. And so they went to touchscreens without accessibility as technology was going to touchscreens with accessibility. They were that step behind. I think it was uh, Ray Campbell who was asking Peter earlier whether he could train in, to trade in that TV he was gifted to, to put toward the expense of the, of the Fire TV. And you know, we're, well, a lot of us are in that situation. I'll tell you, were you really unhappy when they cut off analog television and said you had to go buy a new digital television and you knew when you bought it it wasn't going to be an accessible television because they were going to have to come out with the second, third, or twelfth generation before that happened. I think there's lots of reason to be hopeful. Um, again, stop to think how many different directions ACB is pointed at this moment. You know, virtually everything in our world is needing our attention, and we have to prioritize. But at least as important as prioritizing is line up the soldiers. We need people to complain. But you know who you don't, don't want to complain to? The person sitting next to you right now. You've got to complain to the people who need to hear you complaining. The number, if you go to the Department of Justice and ask them, of all of the complaints filed, which disability group has the poorest reputation? You and me, baby. The blind and visually impaired world. We do not complain the right way to do it. And there's such a difference between complaining and whining. We were all taught, you know, adapt, adapt. So we have to be a little careful and ask the world to adapt to us a little bit as it changes. Enough of my Bible thumping up here. Go ahead. Yes.
So just reiterating Ray's comment, and that is, you know, you can't expect change if you don't let people know change is necessary. And that means you have to do it not just as a collective organization, but as individuals, individual customers. It's not all of one and none of the other. Next comment, uh, hold on, I want to go over to my, I'm, I don't know whether I'm hearing better on the right, but I feel like I'm neglecting the left, my left over here. Question? On, hold on, on my left, I'll be back to you on my right. Hold on a second. On my left? Remember I said there are some things that, that simply aren't going to happen uh, in this universe. And one of those is going from things with as few moving parts as possible to those that do have moving parts. What breaks down the most frequently in anything? The moving parts. So I don't expect that industry is going to move that direction. They're not putting those touch screens up there. Uh, well, yeah, they're putting them up there because it's a new feature and you get wowed by it and go out and buy it and they want you to do that. But they're also doing it as a way to reduce the cost of manufacturing and increase the reliability of the product to some degree. And so I think it's very unlikely that... So, you know, I'm one of those guys who when I see a crockpot on sale, a three-position knob crockpot, I own like three of those suckers. Because I know the one that I bought that was all digital, I burned more pot roasts in that crock pot because I wasn't doing it properly. So I don't think we can roll back the hands of time in that regard. What we need to do is to make sure that as these new interfaces occur, that our concerns are part of the manufacturer's concerns. So we need to build connections with those companies that are doing those kinds of things. I'm now going to my right Lady's voice. Because Tony is the liaison to the IAC, you can go straight again to advocacy at acb.org. He sends out a report to the committees as he goes through those kinds of things to engage those committees. So if they have to do with access to information technologies, then he will be forwarding it to the committee. I really like the idea of this one point of entry, uh, especially when it's the hand of, in the hands of somebody like Tony, because he's really a follow-through guy. Not only does he forward these things, but he's on my back a month later if I haven't done anything about them. Uh, and, you know, we all could use a bit of a nudge, and, and he's very 
competent at that part of his job. Okay, so whenever you have a suggestion, that's the way to do it. Do you think we're spending too much time at the convention doing focus groups? Worth your time to, uh, to step out and do a little bit of that from time to time? How many people here are going to be participants in one focus group or another during the course of this week? It does matter. It really, really does make a difference. Um, it doesn't always, and it get, there's frustrating moments. Uh, when I was at Microsoft um, 10 years ago now, I guess, um, I was taken aside with just one other person from these 40 blind people that were brought in to advise Microsoft. And I was told all about a company they bought in Canada. And this company, because of everybody's concern about things being stolen off your porch when you have them delivered, this company was going to distribute these big boxes. And you were going to get what you wanted delivered to this box. And you would be able to go down and fetch it from there. Biggest problem, touchscreen access touchscreen access. So now that company went nowhere, I don't think, unless Microsoft sold it to Amazon. Because there's an Amazon Dropbox in my neighborhood that I can go use to return Amazon product. Right? Uh, I, it's not accessible to me right now. So while they're doing really great things in one space, they're a huge company, just like Microsoft and the rest of them. They've got a lot of attention spread over a lot of space. And we need to not only tell them how we want them to do certain things, but we really do have to help them prioritize. While Peter is here, he's not back at the home office creating new greater services. So do we need him here or do we need him there? I think in his case, he needs to be here, right? Uh, but that's why he didn't have the rest of his staff here. Right? He needs them to be working on that next great thing. Go ahead, Penny. So Penny was telling us about the hotline for Amazon customers with disabilities, the, that they extend themselves greatly to assist you through your problem with Amazon product. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> but the other place that 
Could you repeat the phone? Those who have used, used this Amazon callback service recommend West Virginia's seems to be their favorite entity to pick it up. Their least favorite appears to be Kentucky. Uh, and in between is Costa Rica. Now, the number again was 888 283 one six seven eight. One six seven eight. Okay, I think we're going to bring this to a close. I would like you to leave your tickets on the table. Okay, just leave your tickets on the table. I want to remind you that Peter's uh, indicated he'd be willing to stay here a little while and uh, answer some questions, that kind of thing. So please feel free to come up to the front of the room where Peter will be. Uh, keep in mind, the poor guy's got to pack and uh, get out of the hotel sometime. So, direct questions, very much appreciated. And again, thank you all for being here today. And thank you to the listeners on ACB Radio. <laughs>